Welcome back to Bold Perceptions, your favorite podcast ever, the podcast that you always share with your friends because when they listen to it, they're like, wow, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing it with me. That's why you share it. But today we have a great episode. It's about Jake's one year anniversary of being sober. It's a milestone. Jake uh, has been part of Bold Perceptions for around what six seven eight months now he's done a lot of things behind the scenes he's been a blast to be a part of this it's awesome seeing his progression so i've known him for quite some time i knew him before drugs during drugs and now after drugs and i do know things about him and the stories and the shit he's been through that is quite crazy and that's one of the main reasons I love having him a part of this because it shows you no matter how bad it gets how low you are or if you think there's no hope you know if if Jakey boy can get himself out of the mud and to the spot he is now and the good energy he spreads and the happiness he has and the motivation to build to create then I think anyone can so it's a great great uh, episode on his journey through drugs being uh, a year sober i'm very happy i'm very proud of jake and the person he has become i know his family and many other people have said similar things so i give him a lot of credit and i think this will be very motivating for you the listener, make sure to reach out to Jake if you are struggling with any of these issues or feeling at a point in your life that you think it can never get better and this is how it's going to be and life is miserable. Because if Jake can do it, like I just said, you can do it too. Enjoy. Bold Perceptions is back. We got me, George, and we got Jake. We got a special one today. Today is a special date in Jake's life. He doesn't have a special date, but today is a special day. Jake, why don't you uh, come on the scene hot and fill us in? So, yeah, today I am one year sober from hard drugs, stronger drugs. So, it's exciting. Uh I didn't, uh, for a while there, didn't think I'd be able to get this far when I was in the midst of my drug use, but uh, I feel great, and uh, yeah, it's an exciting day. Yeah, man, I'm proud of you. This is a big monument. We kept celebrating, like, uh, you know, like the three months, six months, eight months. That's kind of like, you know, a team prematurely celebrating a playoff berth when they're not really in yet, so now I feel like we can pop some champagne virtually here over Zoom, of course. We're still abiding by Corona's rules. But uh, yeah, I'm pumped for you, man. This is good stuff. You've came a long way. I bet you feel good. Yeah, no, and like you said, we talked about it at three months and six months and then nine months and now. So it's crazy, like how fast it goes. But it didn't. It hasn't felt like it's been a year, if that makes sense. I remember I got put on probation. So I can talk about this now because I'm out of probation. So I got put on probation um, early May, and even then I didn't stop using drugs. I don't know. It took me till today, June 25th to uh, stop. And so I remember when I got put on probation, I was like, Jesus Christ, all the way till next May, it's going to be like forever. And 
it's crazy how fast it went. Time flies. And so, yeah, exciting day. Yeah, no kidding. And so what were the uh, parameters of, you know, probation? What does that entail for uh, all the listeners out there? So, yeah, I was pretty low on like the totem pole, but I got in trouble in Winona County. And so every few months throughout probation, I had to drive two and a half hours, two hours to Winona to meet with my probation officer for 10 minutes. So it was just more of a hassle than anything. And then obviously like no drug use. I had to be in therapy. Um, I had to see a doctor to be put on like this opiate replacement medicine. Um, and I thought I would be drug tested by them, but I wasn't since I'm drug tested by my doctor each week. And in the beginning I was failing the drug tests. And so I was like worried that they were gonna like send in or get copies of my drug, uh, screens. And if I, cause if I do, if I failed the parameters of my probation, I would have to go to jail for 30 days. And I don't know like what I was thinking the first month and a half, two months, like I remember that I got put on probation and I was at court on May 9th and then I had to go see him on May 22nd. And for like some reason it didn't click in my head at the time that probation started May 9th, not May 22nd. So like from May 9th to May 22nd, like I, I like had like a going away party with drugs pretty much. And I mean, it obviously kept going after that, but I remember riding down to see my probation officer on May 22nd, just like freaking out. It's like, well, shit. I, if like he drug tests me, I'm like so screwed. And he ended up not drug testing me. And they never ended up drug testing me or getting my drug um, reports from my doctor. So I got lucky in that way. But yeah, I, after mid-June, late June, I decided like it wasn't worth it. I didn't want to go to jail. And so probation was like the best thing to ever happen to me. I told my probation officer that. So I'm blessed to be put on probation. Best thing, they literally changed my life, saved my life. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. And uh, putting myself in your shoes, that ride down to the probation officer's office had to be kind of an anxiety fest for you thinking about, Oh God, like am I yeah. going to jail? Am I it's, like, Jones? it's like a two hour drive too. And so I'm thinking that the whole way down. And as we get closer, I'm just getting more and more nervous, more and more nervous. And like I said, luckily he didn't drug test me, but yeah. And then I, then I swore to myself, like I would never become close to it again. I would never put myself in the situation where I'm going down to see my probation officer where I might have something in my system. And so I had to go see him again in August and I didn't start smoking weed till like mid July, late July. And I'd been a daily smoker for seven years. And so I still at that point going down there, I still thought I might have weed in my system. So once again, I'm riding down again in August now, super scared and ended up not drug testing. But again, putting myself in that situation where, you know, maybe if, I'm unlucky he's going to test me and I go to jail, which was just dumb and so not worth it to smoke weed and get high for an hour, an hour and a half and just eat and sit there. Just not worth it. Right. Right. No, it's uh, it's like a pro and a con list you make when you're about to make a, you know, a big decision and clearly you didn't make it. You didn't make the graph, <laughs> but My player, obviously, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I can only imagine, obviously, I mean, drugs obviously mess with you mentally as well as physically and, I guess we should start out with, I mean, obviously you're at such a different mental spot now that you're sober. I mean, it's pretty obvious to tell in your productivity, even like the look on your face, your drive every day. We can get to that later, but let's, uh, let's start at, I guess, kind of the bottom, your rock bottom and like your darkest days with drugs, if you don't mind here. 
Yeah, so I was a drug addict from like sophomore year of college. I experimented freshman year. Really started using drugs sophomore year. Xanax was my big thing. The, it's a benzo, so it's an anti-anxiety medication. So I was taking that, and then eventually I got into painkillers, the opiates, because I dislocated my shoulder so much, and so I just had them. And then after that, after I got done being prescribed them, I just started going to buy them on the streets. And usually on the streets, they're not actual painkillers. So it was a whole deal. And so I was a daily user. And so like every day in college, I was at least on Xanax going to class, functioning. And rock bottom would probably have been when I got my D-dub uh, in Winona last two Octobers ago. Um, I had a couple different opiates in my system, Xanax, weed. And I was driving to the gas station and I was going to go to some girl's house. And on my way to the gas station, which is like two blocks away, it, I pull out, get onto the main road in Winona. It's like 30 miles an hour. And I looked down at my phone and my steering wheel, my axle was a little messed up. And so I ended up, uh, look, while I was looking at my phone, hitting a car, which hit another car, which hit another car. And uh, I got semi-arrested, I guess. I got taken in and got charged with a D-dub. And so that's why I was on probation for a year or two. That was probably the low point. And then a couple weeks after that, some more legal things happened that I can't get into because it's not just me. So uh, that those two weeks, three weeks were the low point. That was terrible. Okay, so I mean, at at the points where you can't really talk about, um, is it different in your mind in terms of a low point and the depths of that point because there were other people involved, like you're saying, like you were now affecting others, or is that completely irrelevant to this? No, yeah, I wouldn't. I couldn't say it's relevant because, like, I was the one that was the collateral in that in that incident. Like, the cops literally called me collateral. So, like, I wasn't. I got in trouble because somebody else did. And I just happened to be there with the wrong things at the wrong time. Um, so can't really say that. But in terms of a low point, too, I would say the following months after that, because it, it didn't sober me up. And so that happened in October. I tried to get sober for like a week. I tried to get sober so many times before this. And after that, from like, because that happened in October 2018, so the whole first six months of 2019 are probably the low point because I was like super depressed. I had really no one in my life. I had a few friends, but like I wasn't doing anything productive with them. I was mainly doing drugs with them. Um, and just I was lonely, depressed. And so that that really would be the low, low point, I would say, um, throughout the whole thing. And that's what kind of made me realize I needed to change. So I was just pushing everybody away. And it was, it was a very, I hate this word, but toxic individual. You know, just quick to react. So I was always impaired and didn't really think and just react, react, react. And so, um, yeah, that whole from October 2018 to June 2019 was the low point for me. But no, it didn't bringing down others with me wasn't really a part of it. Okay. No, I figured I'd ask, but it makes sense because, I mean, at that point, what was it? Was it uh, October 2018 to June 19, right? Yeah. Okay. There in that, uh, you know, in that era, I'd imagine you're just kind of trying to get yourself by right mentally, uh, physically, and more or less find the next drug dealer, right? You're like you're, you're living to get the next, you know, pickup or of whatever you're taking. I'm living like 
day to day just worrying about how I'm going to get drugs this day. And then hopefully I can make these drugs last long enough where I don't have to go tomorrow. But like I got to, in the beginning, I was pretty good at like saving my drugs. So I know like future Jake was going to want them. And I knew I didn't, wouldn't want to go through like the hassle of trying to get them. So I was very good at like portioning and saving them. But then as time went on, it just got like ridiculous. It was just obsessive. And so the whole goal would be to get these drugs today to last longer than tomorrow. So I didn't have to go through the whole thing of going to meet some people and going to meet more people and being in the car all day. That whole part of the drugs sucks, trying to pick them up and all that. So yeah, that, was, that honestly was my life is doing drugs and picking up drugs or trying to find a way to get drugs. Just finding drugs was my life. Wow. Wow, what a big game of hide-and-seek almost. But, um, no, you – so you're saying, I mean, for that time period, right, your main focus is, you know, you're waking up, you want the drugs, you need to find the drugs, you need to do all the work behind the scenes to get the drugs. And that really doesn't leave you, I'd imagine, with a ton of time to do anything to, like, really better yourself. Um, but, I mean, I will give you credit in an odd way. Cause I know you still had like jobs. You were working an internship. We'll leave the company out of the mix here. Um, but I remember you told me you would, you know, go to the bathroom and crush up perks. Was it? I mean, the painkillers, right. Just to get by in the job. Yeah. And then I'd be like taking Xanax throughout the day. That was in 2018 summer. So yeah. Um, and then I'd be like at work, planning out when I'm going to get drugs. My girlfriend was living with me and she doesn't know that I'm taking drugs. She thinks I'm sober. And so much like whole balance and work, personal relationships and hiding your drug use. It was so exhausting and just so many lies. I was, I feel like whenever I was having a conversation, I was lying to people, which I mean, at the time I didn't really care, but it starts weighing on you because you got to keep all your lies tracked together. I mean, I like not to like, not as a good thing, but I was a pretty good liar. And so I could get by, but after a while, it just gets to too much and you just can't do it anymore. So yeah, I'd like, like you said, I'd be at work doing drugs, crushing them up in the bathroom. I remember one time I was crushing them up in the bathroom and somebody was in the stall next to me. And all of a sudden my credit card and a rolled up dollar bill just drops on the floor in the middle of the stall. So I'm just like, shit, quick grab them and go to a different bathroom. So yeah, it was just, it's, wasn't it was an exhausting lifestyle it wasn't it's not sustainable at all right no right I mean I can't even imagine like in a workplace setting even where I mean you're fighting for a job that was an internship at that point right but at the same time you're you're fighting just to get that next high and I can't imagine that you know you could really develop true like personal or workplace skills right like can you speak on that a little bit terrible at the job i made like one sale in a few months i was falling asleep during the training getting in trouble i was like nodding off and i tried to defend myself like no no i wasn't falling asleep but it'd be obvious that i'd be like sitting there because your mouth was like open and your head's just nodding and it's just like an obvious thing and it doesn't look good so no i was terrible at the job um didn't like the job didn't i just fell out of place there um because everybody else like was very focused on building their way up and then like doing well. And I was just not, my focus wasn't there. I was worrying about other things. Like I said, throughout the day, I'd be trying to find drugs, texting people. I'd be taking drugs in the bathroom. And I remember like we'd get a pretty long lunch break 
and what I would do because I'd be like so tired because I'd be high or coming down from being high I'd go find uh they had like little cubbies there I just like go and sleep for an hour and then go back to work and just <laughs> yeah so I was terrible at the job but if you want to keep a job or be good at a job that's not a way to go about it yeah I'd, I mean I'd imagine your first uh <laughs> your first words of advice for anybody in that job would probably be don't be in the bathroom with dollar bills <laughs> just don't do that yeah so and then like in it kept going with jobs I'd be always be using there's one job where I would go to Walmart. This was right after school. This was in January 2019 through like April of 2019. I was a sales rep for Xfinity, but you'd go into Walmarts and sell. So you'd be the people that you see like standing in the aisles, like stopping people to sell them internet, home security, TV, and home phone. And I was actually like really good at that job for the first few weeks. And I was like kind of using during the first few because I'd take like Xanax and go or do something. I don't know. And then I started doing like bringing cocaine, doing coke in the bathroom. And like I'd be going back to the bathroom every few minutes. I'd be working with somebody else and just be, I feel like they would know. And so once again, and so I'd almost like every job I would be always high. Like I was never sober for work, especially like working through college too. That is honestly unbelievable, Jake. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not being, you know, the guy that's congratulating you on like running that gauntlet, but it's incredible because you got kids in there that are, like I said, fighting for their career, and they are putting all their effort into and energy into being a good worker, learning the product, networking. You know, uh, they're caring about their reputation, their personal appearance. Obviously, that goes a long way in the big corporate offices. Meanwhile, you are literally playing an entirely different game. You're living literally a double life, sometimes triple, because you got downers, you got uppers, you're trying to balance them, you're trying to get them. I mean, is that, that's got to be stressful. Like, that had to raise your anxiety through the freaking roof. Yeah, and then, like, I'd be leaving work in the middle of the day, so, like, we, cause we worked at Walmarts, and so, I mean, sometimes you're with somebody else, but I got to a point where I was good enough at the job where I could go out alone. And so some days when I'd go out alone, I would go to Minneapolis or wherever and buy drugs when I'm supposed to be at the Walmart working. And I mean, there's a chance that they come and check on you because they do that because people do do what I do, skip. And so that thought is always running through my head. Like I got to go flying to Minneapolis and flying back and trying to set up time with that the drug dealers there because drug dealers are terrible at time management god awful it's like the most annoying thing and so i'm trying to set that up and go be able to get it and get back to work without getting in trouble and that was incredibly stressful and so yeah the whole the whole thing is stressful yeah no that sounds like quite the stressful situation and i'd imagine so looking at your year in review here starting off the first months I mean, it's probably not going to be easy in the beginning, right? Like I would imagine July and August were not easy times, right? No, the July, last July was terrible because first of all, like when I, the, when I got sober, I was in fights and arguments with like all the people I was actually still friends with. And then I was just like making my ass of myself on social media and stuff. 
And so I just felt super alienated. So I felt super alone. And then on top of that, like I'm coming off all these drugs because at the end there, I was like the worst I'd ever been what I was doing. Like I was going to Stillwater and hanging out with like 30 to 50 year olds that I met because so I'm actually that's a funny story so I met them because we're one night it was like five in the morning I'd work at 2 p.m I was working at 2 30 p.m around that time and it was like five in the morning and we were all on Molly MDMA and we we're in this parking lot and like I just wanted to go home but I couldn't because I was with these people and I didn't want to bring them to my house and we couldn't go to their house we're just in this parking lot in the middle of Burnsville somewhere and there's these other people there too that the people I'm with know and they're with this girl and this girl is like around our age 20s but she's like performing sexual acts for money for them and so I was like asked I was like so where are you from like why are you here because they okay so they they all left her so the friends of the friends that I was with left and so it was just my friends me and this girl and this is the beginning of your sober months right yeah so this is like the middle of June so you're dealing with this sideshow, gong show, and you're trying to avoid the temptation of actually partaking in the drugs. No, I'm still, I'm using it this time. This is right before I get sober. Okay, and okay. So there's this girl performing sexual acts for money, and the people she's with leave, and so she's just there all alone in Burnsville. And I ask where she lives, and she's like, Stillwater, which is an hour away. And so I was like trying to, at this point in my life, I was trying to be like a better person because everything in my life was going to shit, but I still wasn't trying to get sober. Like the sobriety thing was just kind of spontaneous. But anyway, um, I'm like, okay, I'll bring you back to your house for like 10 bucks. Like you don't need to do any sexual stuff. That's like, that's, I'm not going to do that. So I bring her to her house and she gets out of the car, like, like an abused puppy and like runs into her house. And I was like, okay, well, I just drove you this far. Like I want like at least some gas money. So I go up to the door, knock on it. And I think it's her mom or her guardian. I don't know. Answers. And one thing leads to another. And they end up inviting me in. And we're all starting to do drugs. And so I just kept coming back there for like the next week and hanging out with these people. And it was like the weirdest thing ever. And so, I mean, that's what I was like hanging out with before I got sober. And so when I got sober, like I didn't have like anybody in my life. So July was terrible. And so I was coming down from all these drugs too. I wasn't sleeping before I got sober. I slept like... 10 hours and two weeks if that and so I slept for like 30 some hours right after I got sober like the day of I decided to get and I don't even know if I decided to get sober I just didn't feel like going back out because I was exhausted no sleep and then I just never felt like going back out to get drugs again so yeah to answer your question July August were very lonely it was like just me it wasn't talking to anybody wasn't doing anything was working the night shift 2 30 to 11 p.m so I was literally just all on my own. I was like, okay, we slowly need to build my life back. Luckily, Nick, I was talking to Nick quite a bit. He was giving me calls, helped me out. And I had a few people, so I wasn't all alone, but yeah, it was very depressing times. Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in this position and it, it sounds crazy. I mean, it's gotta be a little discouraging in the beginning too. I mean, there's probably somebody out there that's dealing with either addiction or they're in the early months of trying to quit right now. And I mean, it sounds like the first couple months of sobriety are probably the, the toughest because you're literally trying to rebuild your life. You're used to being around all these bad influences. Um, you know, the saying like 
you're the average of the five people you're around the most. So true. All, like, and you're feeling comfortable doing drugs. I'm sure um, you kind of find, you know, company within it when you're going into this house and doing things that you used that you are doing right. And then you just step out of the comfort zone. And at first, that's got to be freaking cold water all over your face. Yeah. Um, and like, kind of what you said there makes sense. Like why I was able to hang out with those people was because of drugs. Like that was the common denominator. So that's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, what was your, what was your question? Like what? Oh, okay. Now yeah. So the difference this time was like why I was able to do it was because I actually like, wanted to quit. Like, I had never wanted to quit before. I, before, I couldn't imagine my life without drugs. Like, I'd always say, like, I'd be somewhere and look around and be like, I can't believe these people are doing this sober. Like, that would suck. It's like your normal activities, like going to the mall, going to class. Like, I'd just be like, oh, I could never do this sober. I, I didn't want to. And so, like, whenever, like, with my girlfriend, or ex-girlfriend, she really wanted me to quit. And I tried to quit when I was with her. And I started, woke up one day, I was like, okay, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to take drugs today. I got like an hour in, I'm in like the bathroom, like sweating, miserable. And I was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm not trying this. And so, but I told her that I was staying. So from that point on, I like lied to her throughout the relationship and was using drugs. And so the difference, like I said, this time compared to all the other times and why I was able to get through it was because I wanted to quit. So that's, that, that's like the first step you have to want to. I went to treatment, didn't want to quit. And so you have to, that's the biggest, biggest thing is you have to want to. Yeah, no, so you mentioned uh, going to treatment. And I remember, so we had hung out right after you got out of treatment, right? And I, we've been friends for a really long time. Like we're probably going on 10 years, holy hell. Um, and I could just like see it in your eyes. We were hanging in your pool, playing pool basketball. And I could just like tell you we're not done. Like you went just for the bit. Like you just went to show face. You know, it's like Jamarcus Russell pretending he's watching film in the NFL. And I, I could just tell in the pool, like you just you didn't you didn't learn the lesson. Like you were just there going through the motions. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, I totally get it. I totally get what you're saying right now because I, I saw it firsthand. A hundred percent. I did not want to quit. I only went to treatment because I didn't want my, I wanted to stay with my girlfriend. She really wanted me to quit. And like, I had to tell my parents I was a drug addict because the day, two days before I went into treatment, I had lost all my Xanax. And so I was about to go into withdrawal and I had work the next day. So this was on the 4th of July. I was about to go take my Xanax, take a sleeping pill with them and go to bed. And I almost think, because, okay, so I was going to go take them and I couldn't find them. I put them. I knew exactly where they were. They were in my backpack and they were in some special pocket I had for them. And I always kept them in my backpack. So I always had my backpack on me because I didn't, I was hiding it from everybody in my life. And so I went to find them. I was going to take two Xanax and take some Ambien, which is a sleeping pill. And I think I was already on Percocet. So a lot of drugs. And I go into my backpack to try to find them and like, they're not there. I mean, it's impossible. So I start tearing around the house and, uh, they're nowhere. So like my girlfriend, like at the time notices something's wrong and that I'm acting weird. So she just like gets in my car and leaves and I can't find them. And I'm freaking out. So I'm like, I cannot go through the girls. Like, I just can't. And so I call her and I'm like, Hey, did you go through my backpack? She's like, no. Why? What's in your backpack? 
and she just like starts screaming at me and i was like i, I couldn't tell her so i just hung up like i said nothing that's kind of smart that's kind of smart she had you there yeah so i just hung up and then i couldn't find them and i was like well fuck i gotta i gotta come clean so i told her my parents and this whole fiasco happened everybody's upset crying and i was like hey i'll go to treatment and so i got into treatment two days later on july 6th but i was gonna say is like it's almost like the universe like hid those from me because like i was gonna I potentially like od'd that night because i was gonna take a lot like i was planning on taking a lot because i just wanted to sleep because i just like was like whatever fuck and so so i ended up finding the xanax in my that same backpack after i got out of treatment i looked in the same pocket and my mom and my girlfriend at the time had been through that backpack like crazy and there's no way they should have been in there but i ended up finding them i had a feeling i was gonna stuck my hand in and right away i picked them out and grabbed them and i ended up flushing them then but it's crazy. So yeah, I did not want to go to treatment at all. I only did it to save face my family, girlfriend at the time. And I ended up relapsing like a month after I got out and I didn't, nobody knew. And I tried. And so after that relapse, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm done. And then I ended up breaking up with my girlfriend a few weeks later. And then I just fell into a tailspin. And so it got bad after that. Huh. Wow. So obviously what I'm hearing is like you said, the first step to quitting is you got to find it within yourself. You need to be, you know, performing intentional acts to get to that point where you're going to quit and you can't just be going through the motions. Right. So, I mean, where along the lines, I mean, I know, I know it was the kind of the, uh, the probation era, but what was really the turning point in your brain? What truly clicked that led you to, you know, yourself as an individual, take it seriously for your own health and not just going through the motions anymore. So I was over at one of my really good friends at the time, his house. And I was up all night, hadn't slept yet. And it had been like a few days before I slept yet. At the same time, I haven't slept. I'm taking a bunch of sleeping pills just for fun because I'm on a bunch of uppers. And me and my friend, it's like seven in the morning. He's getting ready to go for work. I'm getting ready to go home because I got to go to work in a few hours. And we just get in this like huge fight. We're like fighting outside his apartment in the streets over something so stupid. And so I come home. I'm super upset. And just we're still fighting over the phone. And I'm posting it on social media, being a dumbass and super embarrassing. And people are like, what the hell is going on, dude? And like, I'm obviously like not mentally right, but I'm posting on social media and stuff. And just like when I'm talking to people, just because I hadn't slept. And I don't know how many days at that point. I'm on all sorts of sleeping pills, uppers. And so I ended up going to work that day. And on my way home from work, I had to leave work early. So I started like feeling sick and puking um, because I was trying to take something to set up the effects of something else I took. And it combined that. I started puking, so I had to leave. And on my way home, I called one of my really good friends. And we just had a talk. And a few days before that, I was mini golfing with them. I like barely remember being at the mini golf course and I caused a scene, walked off in the middle of the mini golf course. I literally walked through the middle from the very bottom and just got my car and left. And they're all just like, what the fuck dude. And so he told me about that. I was like, what the hell am I doing? And then I realized at the same time, like I got home and um, I started talking to my dad and I realized like he was surprised that I was like talking to him. Cause apparently I'd been in a huge fight with my family before that. Like, the few nights before, I was like running away from my house, like super drunk on drugs. 
And so he's like surprised I was talking to him. And he, then he explained to me like what was going on in the house. And so I, then I just like looked around my life, like the fight from the morning, a few days ago, mini golf, what I was posting on social media, getting home from my family, leaving work, puking. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I am a mess. Like I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And even if like I wanted to do drugs, the people that I was doing drugs with, I was in a big fight with. And so I was like, well, now or never. So I went to bed that day, slept for a super long time and just never went back and bought drugs. I just, after that point, I was like, I want to quit. Like, I don't want this to be my life anymore. Just a big light bulb moment. It sounds like, um, that's incredible. Yeah, life That'd is like, be, uh, me in the face, like, what are you doing? Like, you, this is not good for you. Like everything is falling apart. Right. And I mean, honestly, you're lucky that it didn't get worse than that. Like you're saying you could have OD'd some nights. Cause I mean, you're mixing shit that, okay. In the first place, you're not supposed to be taking these drugs, but then you're combining them with other drugs. You don't know the effects. I mean, that just sounds like a, quite frankly, a death wish. And I'm happy you got out alive and you had that big light bulb, you know, flash over your head. But so going back to the first couple months, right? I mean, you're lonely, completely out of your comfort zone. You've been doing drugs for a long time. Is there a point after those first couple months where another light bulb came on where you're like, wait, like I'm a couple months into being sober. Things are starting to fall into place again. Like I can do this shit. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good point. Yeah. It's like two months in, I was like, holy shit, I'm two months sober. This is the longest I've been sober in years. And I was like, this is not that hard. And what I had done is I wanted to get sober. And then I also like stopped hanging out with the people that did drugs. Even in, like if you're trying to stay sober and hanging out with those people, it's going to be impossible because you're going to be in the setting to take it. And so once I removed myself from that too, those were the two biggest things. Removing yourself from those situations and wanting to get sober is the reason I got sober. So yeah, after like two months, I was like, okay. I can do this. It's, it's not that bad. Okay. So it sounds like the first step was wanting it for yourself. Second step, starting to, you know, actively take uh, precautionary methods to get away from it, remove yourself from the, uh, the possibility of it. Um, is there, I know, I mean, I didn't want to come into this pod and write a step-by-step method of how to get sober, <laughs> but it's actually kind of shaping out nice. Was there, is there a third level? to removing yourself i feel like it actually may be joining the podcast yeah Mm -hmm. giving yourself some purpose like having something to something or someone to keep you accountable like this is keeping me accountable being on probation was keeping me accountable um so yeah i'd say the podcast was a huge help you and nick were huge helps nick was a big big help so i give a ton of thanks to him but um yeah so wanting to quit taking yourself out of the situations where it's around you and then having somebody to hold you accountable or something to hold you accountable. Cause I know if I get on this podcast and start talking about all this shit, if I go and start using drugs, I'm just going to look like a huge douche, a huge hypocrite and that I, I don't want that. And I don't want that. And I'd feel so incredibly guilty because lately I'll be honest. Lately is like the first time I've almost, I've had cravings to use drugs again. And I think it's because like it's this time of the year and I'm just get like, I'll be out in the car and I'll just get like huge flashbacks and I'll get flashbacks. Is like, it was fun at first. I had a lot of fun pre-treatment and then post-treatment was like the depressing stuff. So I'll get flashbacks and stuff pre-treatment. I'll be like, oh, damn, that was like a lot of fun. Cause my, my, I just was, life was good. I had my friends. I was going to school. College was fun. 
life was just good. And then post-treatment is when life really just fell apart. And so I'll get flashbacks from both. And so I'll get flashbacks like, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. But then I'll get flashbacks to like the post-treatment where life was just like depressing. And then I'll just realize like, it's just not worth it to go back. Like I don't, no part of me wants to be back in the situation I was in a year ago. That was miserable, absolutely miserable. So I have a comment and then I have a uh, light at the end of the tunnel comment as well. A, I would, uh, if I were you, I would definitely turn off your Snapchat memories because you're probably getting bombarded with these partying times with the old friends, right? Well, one thing quick, to be honest, it doesn't sound weird. It's almost sometimes fun to have those memories. So you kind of relive them, relive through them. It kind of like is almost exciting. Like you kind of get that feeling of that you're doing it. And so it's almost fun to flirt with the idea because you get like the blood rush and you kind of get like those throwbacks, like the senses start taking. Like if I go through, if I, something happens or I'm doing something in the environment where I'd be doing drugs in the past, like my senses or my body will realize it. And so I'll get like almost like that feeling. And so it's almost like fun to flirt with that and tease yourself to a degree. It's kind of fucked up, but um, it's kind of like a marriage maybe when you start getting sick of your wife or husband. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. And so it's just, it's fun just to like flirt with the idea. comes a side chick, the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the temptation. I've never been married, so I'm not speaking from experience just so everybody knows. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. But yeah, it's, uh, it's always weird to see the snap stories because, you know, you'd think it'd be bad for you, but still it's part of my past. And so it's fun to kind of see that, like the fun times, but then if I get the thought after seeing that, like, oh, I should go do that. Like, that never happens. I never get the thought, like, oh, I should go do that. But if I do, I just remember like, the post-treatment era where I was just, like I said, miserable. And so it, it offsets. Well, and that was my next comment. So on the Snapchat memory topic, you're going to start seeing these next couple months where they were, like, the hardest things ever for you, right? Like, you were absolutely a fish out of water in the beginning. And now you're going to start seeing those and be like, whoa, like me right now compared to that, like I have so much to be thankful for. And there's, it's got to be a point of no return in your mind, right? Yeah. Like I saw one snap memory the other day and I'm driving to Stillwater actually. And I, what I posted on it, I read it. It's like a paragraph or two. There's two separate ones. One of me going to Stillwater and one outside some apartment buildings. They're both like a paragraph on it. They just make absolutely no sense. They're so stupid. And I remember like writing them. And so, yeah, I like think like, wow, thank God I'm not there right now. So, yeah, that, that to your point, that's already kind of happened. Yeah. And I mean, I just want to interject here and again, like stress how proud of, of you that I am, Jay, because I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that you're a completely different person. Right. And I mean, you have a completely new life. It's like you got reborn. And I mean, I can just see, cause I mean, I was friends with you pre-addiction, during addiction, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the, the, uh, the publicity stunt of going to rehab. I saw that. <laughs> I've seen it all. And I mean, this is undoubtedly like the clearest you've thought, talked, expressed yourself, everything. You're reading books, you're doing the pod, you're producing the pod, putting out great pods. I mean, it's incredible. And I mean, even from an outsider's perspective, like it's obvious that you've evolved and that I don't think you're going to be, 
you know, going down that path again. And that's got to feel good because if other people can, you know, realize that, you can definitely realize that and feel it. I appreciate it, George. Thank you. But yeah, if I can do it, whoever else is going through it can do it. And like, I will read stories on Reddit sometimes of people that get sober because I I just like reading it and hearing other people's stories. It's interesting to me. And there's so many people that are, think they're unsavable, that they're no, nothing can help them that ended up turning it around. And so like, if anybody is thinking that they can't do it, you just got to change your mindset with anything. Just believe that you can do it. And uh, yeah. But thank you for the kind words, George. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think I'd be the only one to say it. Um, I remember my mom listened to a pod of yours a couple months back. And I mean, she hadn't seen you for a long time. And she even was like, dude, this is like the clearest I've ever heard Jake talk. Like, he seems very on point. He seems sharp, seems on a different level. And I mean, whoever's listening right now that, uh, you know, is going through the same stuff. I mean, this is definitely like the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like, if you can, you're going to notice it within yourself. But then once others, once you are truly contrasted from your former self, where you're at the point where others are like, whoa, I mean, that's going to feel good. And I would, I would just keep that in mind, right? When you're, when you're going forward with getting sober. And on that point, Jake, do you have like three or four things, two or three, I don't care, kind of unorthodox ways or methods that you use to help you get through the dark times and to this point now? Um, yeah, I do. And to just go off what, how your mom said all that stuff, um, I do feel like this is the clearest I've ever been thinking. Like, it's the clearest I've been, the most, I don't know, motivated I'd say I've been. And, like, I don't think any of that's possible if I didn't go through what happened. Like, I wouldn't go back and change any of it because it was all – help necessary to my story to make me who I am today and who I'm con- going to continue to be. But uh, do I have anything that people can do to help get through their tough times? Yeah. I'd say journal for sure. Affirmations help me quite a bit. And um, also journal like where you want your life to be a year from now or six months from now, or even a month from now, just like set goals for intermediate time periods that where you want to see yourself or you want to end up and so that and then just having people that you can talk about it with because I have a friend who has gone through a uh, treatment and addiction stuff before and then having you guys the podcast just talking to keep me accountable so yeah and then honestly don't be afraid to like I do flirt with those memories and or those that come up like don't I guess kind of embrace them don't fight them off because they're they're a part of you it's part of your you know story and so those would be my things that I that I did that helped me so I'm going to liken this to another situation obviously not on the same level but I've heard so I always I'm always talking about I've heard this I've heard that truth be told I have a lot of bizarre conversations everybody okay I have some weird conversations where I'm in like a counselor role and Allie, the psychic, has told me I'm some sort of counselor. I'm kind of starting to see it now. You are. But people, thank you. Maybe I will, uh, you know, start a pop-up counselor shop outside my new house in a week or so. But I, uh, I've heard, you know, when you go through a breakup, um, like actually blocking your ex and like just erasing all memories actually isn't healthy, right? And it's actually when you see them out, 
with like another guy, another girl or whatever, having fun without you is when you actually like heal a ton because like right then and there, you're seeing the former problem. You are in your words, flirting with the idea, but that is probably actually a huge moment of growth when you're like facing your fear right into your, like in right into their own two eyes. Right. I mean, am, am I completely off here? Well, I, I wouldn't say like flirting with the idea of doing drugs. Don't do that. Just like, I guess what I'm saying is like, just don't, don't shy away from the memories. Right. Like just don't, yeah. Don't shy away from those. But yeah. I think that's a pretty good comparison. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, Cause like I just said a couple minutes ago, it, it is a part of you and you're going to have to own it eventually if you're not going to do it now. So you might as well just start. And uh, like I said, I'm, grateful for everything that happened like I would not go back and change it because it's necessary for me to be who I am today and for who I am going to be eventually so where would you want to be you just said you want to set incremental growth goals right I'm not going to ask in a year where do you want to be but maybe where do you want to be at the end of the summer in a couple months if you've thought about that well like for me personally um like different stuff with like how I how I look with like working out, um, eating, and then work life. Like I want to be in a new position, new role, have a new job, and also um, start hopefully traveling. But hopefully that starts happening by the end of the summer. So like going into the fall, um, and then just like continuing to take care of my business, like that was the biggest thing that I didn't do when I was high was take care of my priorities. Like if I had a doctor's appointment, I just wouldn't go. That, and that's, a, that's what screwed up my shoulder is I never went to the, well, I did go occasionally, but I skipped so many physical therapies that like my shoulder is now I'm suffering for it now. So I never took care of my priorities. So just continue to take care of the things I need to do each day, my therapy appointments, going to the doctor, reading, doing affirmations, working out, eating healthy, just the basic shit that I didn't do when I was using. And that, could, and that just goes to show. So obviously, I mean, you've made huge improvement in a lot of important areas, but for example, like your shoulder, you didn't take care of it at the time and you're not too late. It's like you're only 20 something, but what I want to talk about is, I mean, every day that you're waking up, like go grab life by the balls and take care of your stuff, take care of your opportunities, address, you know, your problems like now instead of waiting too long. Cause life goes by quick. I mean, this year has gone by quick for you. Like you can probably, t you know, I mean, don't wait, don't wait around. Like the time is now it's going to pass you by. Yeah. I always, we were texting earlier today. I just like, I feel like I'm just ready to grab life by the balls and actually like take control and make life happen on my terms instead of going on life's terms. Um, and so that's just something I, I couldn't do when I was high. Like I was always on life terms, waiting on other people, waiting for things to happen where now I'm ready to like go out there and basically like dominate my life, make do take care of my stuff, be, be who I want to be. Yeah. And I mean, how fun is the other side? Like you're on the positivity side, you're on the improvement side, you're on the win the day side now, instead of before you're just trying to get yourself. by. I mean, 
well, yeah. honestly, mm-hmm. right, right. I mean, you yeah. can speak to that, but I was gonna it's got to be a huge contrast. A, that's a fantastic point. Um, my mindset now compared to how I used to be, I remember like thinking, I'm like in a joking, like I'm such a loser, ha ha ha. But like, I, I really was a loser what I was doing, and like. My, my mindset's like that. Like I'm projecting that that's my vibe. That's what I'm giving off. And as we've talked about quite a bit on this pod, um, how you think, how you feel, the energy you give off is a big thing. It, it, like, and how you feel about yourself gives off that vibe. And so now I feel good about myself. Um, and so I feel like I just give off. And I think like you've kind of mentioned, like you can tell, and I think it's that vibe that I give off now. It's not that sulky, like I don't do anything. I'm not taking care of myself. And so I think that that mindset is a huge difference. Where now I'm ready to win the day where before like I'd wake up sick, needing drugs and then go about my day. So it's a completely different start to the day, completely different way that I go through about the day. Right. And I mean, we spend a lot of time on the pod talking about like your personal vibe, your personal energy levels that you're giving off and whatnot. I mean, now compared to even, you know, like three months ago, probably like you're advancing every day as a human feel like I'm talking like we're talking revolutionary or evolutionary caveman, uh, homo sapien or whatever. But I mean, you're now you're now you're more magnetic. Like people want to be around you. Like you're going to attract better things just by feeling better and giving off that radiation in the universe. Yeah. Like who wants to be around somebody that's high out of their mind, barely awake, mumbling when they talk lifeless. Nobody wants to be around that. And then also like, you know, there's certain stereotypes about drug addicts and a lot of them are true like they're just a lot of them because they're only thinking about themselves and because their habit literally like takes over their life um i remember reading like there's every human has certain survival instincts for food water sleep sex that sort of thing and i've read that when you're a drug addict like drugs take over that so it becomes your very first priority your first like life instinct and so when that's your first instinct and that's all you're caring about, like nobody really wants to be around that. You're a selfish human. So going back to, you know, your, your priorities and getting drugs and picking up and everything at the time, I mean, you were pretty young to be addicted to drugs. And at that time, I mean, there's probably some outside forces, especially on a college campus and whatnot, that makes it seem cool, right? It's like the cool thing to do. Um, but now it sounds like you've realized like, damn, the cool thing to do is to take care of myself and, you know, like beat myself from the day before and always be improving, getting better at skills and whatever you're doing. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Cause I feel like you got something to say about that. I feel like I'm reading you telepathically. right I'm, now. I'm just about to say, I'm super glad you brought that up. Cause, uh, yeah. Um, I was listening to a lot of music, like with, rappers talking about how they're doing drugs and all this and I thought it was like yeah I want to be like that and so I mean I'm not going to straight up say like I only did drugs because the music it was like a huge influence I'd like seek out music that talked about drugs um and then like because obviously I could relate to it then I don't know if it necessarily made me feel cool I mean it probably did it gave me like a dopamine hit for sure like they're talking about and I'm doing it too like that's cool um but yeah I'd say like that yeah, definitely played a role, and because I was just con- consistently consuming drugs or the idea of drugs, like songs and like that drug lifestyle. So yeah. 
Well, and that plays into another thing we talk a lot about is the subconscious brain and whether you're seeking out the music or like taking in the music or not, your subconscious, I should say, whether you are knowingly taking it in or not with your conscious brain, your subconscious brain is for sure taking it in, soaking it in. Right. And I mean, I think once you change the people you're around and change your actual actions, that's probably a turning point because you're retraining your brain, you're retooling your brain as to what's important. Yeah. Like when I first got sober, I couldn't listen to this music I was listening to because it like make me want to do drugs. And now like I like kind of listening to those songs that I'd listened to while I was doing drugs. So it's that back to that same idea of like kind of flirting with like your memories. And so it's kind of like interesting now because I hear something that reminds me of something. But like right after I got sober, I like could not listen to that music without wanting to go get drugs or just like feeling down. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And I mean, thinking about the music I listen to right now, it doesn't have the most positive messages, right? Because I mean, you know how pop culture is these days. It's really infiltrating the, the population's mind and whatnot. But um, another thing I want to make sure we touched on so obviously with drug addiction, that comes with having a very addictive personality and that's not going to go away. You're not going to lose your addictive personality. You're just going to shift your focus to something else, whether you know it or not. And obviously you've gotten into golf quite a bit lately. You're the golfing man. You're golfing every day. And I feel like there's something to be said about using your addictive personality that you will have um, for things that are actually beneficial to you or actually fun. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, yeah, glad you brought that up. Uh, I have a very, very, very addictive personality. Like, it's insane. Like, the last time I bowled, I bowled 16 rounds. I played, like, 52 round, fifty-two holes of golf this past weekend. Also went to the driving range a few times this weekend. Just got back from the driving range. And so, yeah, I have definitely, like, focusing your that addictive personality on something um, – that's valuable or even just something that's good for you. I remember at first too, I got, and I still am, got like addicted to seeing the progression of myself, seeing myself grow and those intermediate time periods where I'd set goals. So I got really addicted to that. And I still am like, I like looking back, especially now with working out where I'm doing that. Like it's fun to see your body change, to just see that progress in yourself. And then also golf. And I noticed too, now when I start reading, I get, super obsessive and I don't want to put the book down um so yeah just putting that addictive personality into something beneficial for myself has been huge you're right that that that's not going to go away no it's not we're golfing Thursday so better not go away before Thursday (laughs) but I mean obviously that's that's a double-edged sword like an addictive personality if you're listening out there and you're struggling with something negative flip it like it's a it's a blessing and a curse make it a blessing instead of a curse. Like you're actually, you could say you're lucky. You were lucky that you had the addictive personality because on the flip side of things, you can turn that into a weapon of mass destruction and just go on a tear of building yourself up, building momentum, you know, building that inertia in life. Before you know it, I mean, you could end up freaking Walt Disney, Jeff Bezos out there. Yeah. I don't know if this is a good comparison, but it's kind of like individuals with autism where they're, super good at a certain thing where you can kind of take that with your addictive personality and put that energy and focus into something positive or good 
Um, I know at first too, with the podcast, I was super addicted to it. I still love doing it, but it's just throwing it and something good that will either help you or just something you like, like golf. I, I don't know. It does help. Like it helps my mindset and stuff, but like, it's not going to completely revolutionize my life and change it, but it's, it's still good for me. Just stuff like that. Fun, healthy activities. Yeah, no, I completely get that. Um, and yeah, no, the autism thing is a interesting point because I always hear that autistic children have like out of this world strength. Like they have strength that doesn't even make sense. Like it's like superhero shit. Yeah. And then they're always like my old uh, neighbor was autistic. And they're always super good at their or focused on something like, for example, coding or there's a bunch of different things where they just can hyper focus on something and dig, dig, dig. So you can use the addictive personalities like that where you'd be able to, you know, use that where you can just go in on something and just really consume it. Yeah, that the human mind is amazing, man. Like there is just like the psychological waves that it produces and you know, the ramifications of having a fully developed brain. Obviously it's a blessing and a curse, like we just said, like you can go down a bad slope quick or the other way. Yeah, that was a good point. Double-edged sword. That's like a lot of things with the brain. Even the brain itself, you can do good or bad with it. And so I just need to turn your perspective around on like addiction for yourself. Change your perspective on your addictive personality and use it as a good thing. And don't look at it as like a curse. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a silver lining to everything. Um, and now you're, uh, you've changed from a glass half-empty man to a a glass overfilling full, almost too much good for your own good. You're just rolling right now. Yep. And then uh, I did notice that I started a new book, Outwitting the Devil. Hopefully we do a podcast with it when we both finish it. But uh, they were talking about faith and how that's like the most important thing. And I realized like I had faith, like I believe, but at the same time, did I like truly believe like, or was I just putting on the facade of saying I believe? I think I was more so putting on the facade of saying I believe. And so the past few days, I've actually like tried to put faith and I feel a lot better. And I just feel like a lot, I trust the universe. I trust the path that it has laid out for me. And so it's a different feeling. And I'm obviously going to, you know, it's not going to come overnight. But I think that's a big thing too, if you are struggling with addiction, to just have faith that it can get better. Because I know how scary it can be. Like it's such a, I was so scared so many times about having to get sober because it is like a terrifying thing because you, one, you're going to get sick. Two, um, I mean, it's your crutch. It's how you get through the day. You rely on it. Like I know if I ever had to give a speech in class or presentation, it was one or two Xanax and I was good to go. But so that, that fear of like quitting is so real. And it's very scary. And so just having some faith that you can get through it and that it is just temporary and that it does get better. I think that's a huge thing. And I wish I realized that back then, because I feel like I could have quit sooner because I kept putting off quitting so many times just because I did not want to go through withdrawals. Um, so yeah, wanted to throw that out there. Oh, and that's, uh, that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately is just like the simple cliches in life and how actually true they are once you, uh, you know, get over the fact that they're cliche. And that's a good one right there. Like you just got to believe that it does get better there, that you have faith, you're trusting the process. And 
you hear it all the time. Like you really do in so many different aspects. But I feel like if you sit down and you just calm down and think, hey, wow, that's true. Like that is true. It can get better. It will get better. I think that's a huge first step, just acknowledging that possibility. And actually, it's not even a possibility. It's a fact. Like you are in control. And if you're telling yourself it's going to get better, it will get better. I feel like that would move mountains for people. Yeah. And the thing that you can do to kind of get that fear out of your head is first put it down on paper. And that helped me a lot when I'd be stressed out about something is just putting it on paper. And there's just something about putting it on paper that you realize that, okay, it's not as bad. It's attainable. Like for example, when you have a ton of stuff to do during the day, especially during college, like you have different classes, you got to study, you got a project. I'd always put it on a to-do list. And then it just felt like that was that much more attainable and completable that I, that I could do it. It didn't seem like so much. And so doing that with like your fears, getting your fears out of your head and onto a piece of paper is huge because then they're out of your head. They're not living there anymore. They have a place, they have a home. And so that always helped me. I know when I'd be worried like how I'm a huge drug addict or something, I'd always just write like, I'm not a drug addict. I will get through this, just something like that. And so that, that really helped me. And so I think that would help anybody to be honest. And then also that incorporating the faith with that, it'll kind of play on each other. Well, there was just a gunshot behind me, so I don't know if that means that you just said something like "out of this world incredible" or if I'm in trouble. Was but it a firework or a gunshot? I think it was. I think it was a firework. I'm glass half full, guy. What am I doing? What am I doing right now? But no, that's that's a great point. Like, and you you alluded to it earlier. Uh, journaling really helped you. And there's something weird. There's something majestic about like pen and paper these days. Not like texting it out in your notes, but grabbing a pen putting it down on paper, smelling the ink, seeing it come about. You're the one controlling the ink to make that, you know, be in the universe. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about that lately. I think journaling is way better for you and maybe even a lost art. It just gets it out of your head. It just gives it a place to be. And so you don't have to hold on to it anymore. And I think that just feels, you know, it's like when you're done journaling, you kind of feel like the weight is off your shoulders. And it just seems like everything will be okay, for me at least. Wow. That's powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. Did you have like a specific journal that you put these thoughts into or would you just kind of grab paper by you? Or like I said, specific journal, you can go back and look at what you're saying like day by day. Yeah, no, I wish I did keep a, a specific journal so I could go look back. Like I had a journal and treatment that I barely wrote in, but I went back and looked at it recently just to kind of see where you are um, and reflect. But no, I just write in a bunch of different journals. I didn't like keep it organized, but it, and I wouldn't do it consistently. That's the thing. It was just when I was like overwhelmed and I needed to like, just get it out of my head. Like I'd be having like an anxiety attack. And so I just get it out on paper, just get it out of my head. Huh? I gotta start writing more. I think after this, um, but no, okay. So to close up then Jake, I mean, is there any other things? I know I kind of asked you already, but now we're on a roll with that. Is there anything else you'd recommend specifically to people that are, you know, in the early process of getting sober or thinking about becoming sober? Is there anything that you just point to and say, look at this, you got to do this? Um, start by having faith that you can quit. You got to get over the fear of quitting. That's the biggest thing. That's the, that's the, I think that's the biggest reason why people continue to be addicts because 
and I was listening to a podcast the other day with these two addicts that talk, and they were saying the same thing. And that's the biggest reason people don't quit is because they're they're fearful of quitting. So it'd be one to try some way to get over that fear, um, even if it's just getting a little less fearful of it. And then it'd be um, finding a group, some support to talk to. And then if need be like putting yourself in a situation, like if you need to go to a detox or treatment, if need be, like for me, I had to go um, because I would, with Xanax, you'd have seizures from the withdrawal. It's like one of the most dangerous withdrawals. Um, and yeah, so that, that would be, and then obviously if you're at that point, you're, you're wanting to quit. And then after you find that support, get rid of the people that are still using this, this, you can't be around them. It's at first I thought I was, uh, conceited enough to think that I could be around it. And then, cause after treatment, I went back to my college house and that was a disaster. Not putting blame on anybody in my physical college house because it wasn't them just being around that environment, knowing where to go, who to get um, different drugs from. And so if need be too, get rid of numbers that, um, I don't know if I did that um, because I always knew that I didn't really want to quit at first. So I never would get rid of their numbers, but that would be one thing too. Just get into all of your life. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Well, it sounds like we're going to have to do another pod maybe like a four month, maybe five month thing down the road just to, uh, you know, like document progress. Cause I feel like this is going to be helpful to a lot of people going through it. So I think you've just become a, a cult hero in the drug addiction world. <laughs> it like I'll be uh, a counselor just like you. You have to teach me how. <laughs> oh God, that's good. But yeah, Jake, I'm proud of you, man. And obviously this is uh this is a hell of a place that you're in. I could not have imagined it one year, two year, three years ago. And uh, you could have shocked the world a little bit. Shocked myself. That, that's the thing is I've shocked myself. I, I, cause I, like I said, I always used to think like I would hate to be sober. Like I would just, I thought it sounded terrible. I did not like being sober, but that's a whole different, different story. Like why I didn't like being sober. So you got to also figure out like what's causing you to use drugs. Like mine, I was probably, or I was like insecure about myself, not confident. And I also just like being high. So there, there's just that too. So um, but yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Feel good when you're sober. And uh, yeah, I'd like to keep talking about every few months, give updates. And it keeps me accountable then too. No, definitely. So I'll be looking forward to that. We'll be jumping back on to, you know, talk progress and all that good stuff. But thank you everybody for tuning in on Jake's big day. Today is the big day. We were celebrating before, but pop some, uh, pop some champagne for Jake at home, man. I mean, enjoy it. And uh, most importantly, the most important thing, share with somebody that you think could hear it because that's what we're here to do, help others, makes us feel good, trying to give back to the community. And uh, I can really feel the tide turning with this podcast. Uh, obviously, I mean, it's helped Jake turn his life around. It's kind of started a fire under me, and it's a real fun thing to be a part of. So we hope you guys can, you know, be along for the ride with us, man. So thank you again, everybody. Yeah, Jake, any, any other final thoughts? No, he's had a good. Join us on this wonderful journey. And, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. One year, baby. One year. Let's One go. One year. You, you clipped out a little bit at the end there, Jake. Got to get your last words in.
One of many. One of many. There it is. Let's go. The happy, the happy, motivational man that Jake is now. I love it. <laughs> so we'll see you next time, everybody. We love you. Like, share, comment, subscribe. And uh, we will see you next time on Bold Perceptions.